Well, we may not be all together in one large place, but whether you are alone right now or with other people, uh, we also want to make sure we take the time to pass the peace of Christ to one another. So if you're listening or watching, the peace of Christ be with you. And you would respond to me right now and also with you. In times like this, passing the peace may be even a little more complicated. We normally shake hands in uh, the early Bible times. They would have greeted another, one another with a holy kiss, which would have been further complicated by uh, the issues surrounding fears with the virus. But regardless of whether we touch each other or get close and, and breathe on each other, we can still give one another words of peace. And we may need to do that now uh, more than ever. And one way that we want to remind one another of the peace that we have in Christ is through the word of the gospel. So if you have a Bible, you can open to 1 Peter chapter 2. Or you can, if you have the PDF that we shared, whether just directly through a PDF link, or you can click on uh, the web link. You can see it either way. We're going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 4 through 12 to get started. I'll say a little bit more about this in a minute, but I believe God has prepared us for this time by having us in 1 Peter with sort of our theme of having hope in hard times, of learning what it means to be the church in a culture with a lot of complexities and to be the church in times that are just beyond our control. So there's some things that we, we do have control of, but other things we don't. Uh, we, we can't control the state of emergency that we're in. We can't control the recommendations, whether we would always agree with them or not. They're issued from our government. But as we'll learn in coming weeks, a part of what it means to be the faithful people of God, as we see in First Peter, is respecting our government. And we'll talk about that some more in a minute. And also loving one another. All these things we'll touch on today. But let's begin just by reading verse 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 12, a text we'll likely maybe be in even the next few weeks. Beginning at verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, speaking of Jesus, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For the honor is so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the words they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, 
so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that comes to us with truth and grace. We thank you for your word that by your spirit puts our eyes on Jesus, our good shepherd who is with us, who lays down his life for the sheep, who puts us in the grip of your hand, Father, so that no enemy can take us away. We pray today through our time together that you would increase our hope in you. We pray that as your people that when we're squeezed by suffering in this world, that love would overflow. We pray, God, that you help us to be unified by the things that no pandemic or persecution can touch. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not particularly afraid of the coronavirus yet. I am concerned, but that doesn't mean I don't have fear. I'm afraid right now that I will say the wrong thing. I'm afraid that as a pastor, I'm expected to rise to the occasion and deliver an, an epic message as if this were some sort of State of the Union address. I'm a, afraid because I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm sitting in our, I guess you would call this a dining room, with a small group of people trying to act like life is normal and that we do this every week. But it doesn't feel normal to me. I'm afraid uh, that I will react as in such a way that could do harm. I've this morning also been very anxious, and that anxiety has led to me to have unrealistic expectations on my family to, to sort of meet my emotional demands so that I can perform in a way that I feel like is necessary for me to have the approval, not only of those in this room, but in a very scary way, anybody that might happen to be watching this through Facebook. There are many different approaches to the coronavirus situation. There are some of you that likely are very afraid. Maybe some people who are panicking. And there may be some who are doing this on the inside, but not on the outside. Some of you, no doubt, who are going through worst-case scenarios. What am I going to do if we're quarantined for 30 days? What am I going to do if something happens that maybe we're not being told right now that's going to last a lot longer? And there's others of you who are just really annoyed by everybody who is afraid. You think this is hype, this is hysteria, you're, you're assuming there's probably some political motivation behind it, and who knows, all of these things may have some touch of truth, but either way you slice it, fear can affect us, and is affecting us. It can make us crazy, or it can make us critical, it can make us cautious in healthy ways. Or it can make us condemning. I don't mean that people are ten full half crazy or pharisaically judgmental 
although those things can be true. But we can all be tempted and all are tempted to live out of touch with the reality of who God is, what he has done for us in Christ, and who we are, and what it means for us to live in times of fear. So I invite you right now, even within your own soul, to ask yourself, how are you responding to this season? Everybody is responding. Nobody is this sort of neutral, robotic person. You're responding in one way, whether that is with fear or annoyance. But this is activating stuff in your heart. And we all need to pause and be aware of what's going on. Take a second and do that. we respond to this season, we do well to be reminded that this is really nothing new in the history of the world. This is not the first time the people of God have faced situations of, of panic and of legitimately cons consummated issues that bring about great public danger. We remember the flood of Noah, where people mocked that such devastation could come we remember the famine of Joseph, where God blessed the world through a man's story who had suffered so much, but yet his suffering put him in a place to love the world that suffered. We remember the mass sufferings of the exile, where desperate, desperate things were taking place just so that people could be fed. And yet through all of these things, God's people both truly suffered and they truly survived. These twin realities do not need to be pitted against one another as the people of God in the story of God. Truly surviving, we have hope. And yet truly suffering, we have hard times. We've already seen in 1 Peter that as God's people, we, we live in this tension of the hope of the kingdom of Christ, of the already and the not yet, that sometimes puts us in the situation of we're the happiest people in the world and at the same time the saddest people of the world. That we are sorrowful yet rejoicing. And this is how we live in this reality that First Peter gives us as God's people then and God's people now to live in wisdom in a world of fear and suffering but to do this with a vision of the opportunity to live in the hope of the glory of God for our own good in the world's. We have an opportunity, as Matthew's Table Church, as followers of Christ, to respond in this season, living as a family of faith in the face of fear. We have an opportunity to respond as a family of faith in the face of fear. Now, how can we do this? Well, as I already said, I believe that, that the Lord has gone ahead of us by having us in 1 Peter. We're having hope in hard times. And so this morning, I just want to look at where we've already been, and then a little bit towards where we're going in 1 Peter 1 and 1 Peter 2, and apply it to the particular situation we find ourselves in, so that we can live as a family of faith in the face of fear. So in verses 1 and 2, we saw that we have a story to live into as a family of faith. We're told in chapter 1 and verse 1 
that we are elect exiles. I'm not going to reteach all of these things, but just touch on these texts. Elect exiles. The fact is, as God's people, we are the chosen people of God. This is what this word elect means. And the fact that God chose us purely by His grace and solely by His love means that we have a security in this world. That we may not be able to choose the situations we find ourselves in, the sufferings that we have to endure. But one thing is sure, and the mystery of how all that works out is that we are God's people, and nothing can change that. No pandemic, no persecution can take away our identity as the held, loved people of God. But we're also exiles. So we find ourselves in a world that is fallen, that is broken, where there is much suffering. For the readers of 1 Peter, this would have been particularly applied to the persecutions that they were faced, but I believe it applies to us, whether in terms of a persecution or a pandemic. This exiled status, along with our identity as an elect people of God, is not just sort of these words taken out of the air. They're, they're connected to the larger story we're in. That just as Abraham was chosen to go forth into the world, not merely to be protected as God's people through his family, but we're told in Genesis 12 he was chosen for a purpose, to be a blessing to the nations. In Jeremiah chapter 29, we see God's people in exile. They're surrounded by a situation far out of their control. A situation where they're outcasts, where their, their future is very uncertain. And where we might assume that God could have told them, you guys just need to, to, to huddle up together and wait this thing out and protect yourselves. Instead, we hear these words. Jeremiah 29, verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And then he goes on in verse 10 and gives them this promise of a future hope. Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. Bring you back to home. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So we know that this prophecy and promise has particular application to the people of Israel. But through Jesus, we receive promises. As 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says to us that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so we sit here today, we know we're God's chosen people, we know we have this present reality, and we know we have this future hope, but what we're told as elect exiles in 1 Peter is to bring ourselves into that same story of Israel and to say that although we have this security 
And this future promise that the present matters. The present matters. It's why we pray as Jesus taught us, even now, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This is not a time for us to just sit back and wait it out. There are many different approaches that we can take to seasons like this, and things may very well get worse before they get better. But our heart should be to ask ourselves, as God's chosen people sent, what does it look like for us to be a blessing? Over a month ago, early in February, as this thing was unrolling in China, as early as the first and second weeks of February, the death toll had risen to 724, and I don't know where that is now. Confirmed cases were well over 30,000. But Christians in China saw this as an opportunity to love. We read these stories of these Christians who were out giving masks to people. And I know there's debate on whether that helps or not. But they were doing what they felt led to do sharing the love of Christ with others, praying for people. And in the midst of the mass hysteria that was taking place in many communities, one person, reporter, quoted her amazement at the courage of these Christians. If we take this time and maybe this season gives us an opportunity to study early church history, in the early church, when plagues broke out, when persecutions happened, it was the people of God who rose up to love others. Now, we want to be wise. But we want to realize that whether or not we gather together in a public space as the church, that we are called to scatter out and be the people whom God has sent into this world as elect exiles to be a blessing. Our schools have closed. And we don't know really how long. At least a week. Maybe longer. And we take that seriously. But we need to ask ourselves, how can we as elect exiles love our students, love our schools, and love our families in this time? That maybe prayer is the best place to start. Faculty and staff are having to make very hard decisions right now. Teachers are going to be majorly disrupted in their lives because they're going to have to figure out, in many cases, how do I go from my traditional classroom teaching to now becoming someone who's proficient at delivering an online format? A lot of stress and anxiety will happen, and we need to pray for those, not only who are in our churches, but who are in our cities. We need to pray for families. Many families depend on the free or reduced meals that children get at schools. We know in Cleveland we're really blessed that every child in our school system gets free breakfast and lunch every day. Now all of those children and families are going to be home. We need to be aware. How can we respond as God's people to make sure that 
families and kids are cared for. It seems right now all the reports are that those who are elderly with weak immunity systems, chronic illnesses, those without affordable health care and transportation are particularly going to be affected by this. We need to ask how can we respond in a way that is a blessing? Well, some very clear ways are we can check on people and check on our neighbors. We can check on those within our missional community lives that may be in these categories. Cleveland's public transportation is a blessing in many ways, but it does not run after 6 o'clock and it does not run on the weekends. Many within our common mission fields rely on public transportation to get around. And there's the potential in all this, what if public transportation is just shut down altogether? Those of us who can just jump out into one or two of the cars that we have may feel like this isn't a big deal. But regardless of what happens, this could be a very big deal. There's also the opportunity that not only meeting certain needs happen, but even the fact that we're here today doing this the way that we're doing it, and even in ways that we may have to adapt in our missional community lives, could lead not only to an increased amount of needs that people have physically and tangibly, but also this could affect the loneliness that already is rampant in our city. So we think about singles, we think about the elderly, we think of, again, children who may be in certain home situations where they look forward to going to school every day. Because it's at school, they're going to hear somebody who loves them and is with them. Like this, this has a lot of effects, and we as the people of God need to be aware, and we need to pray, and we need to pursue how can we love people. It may not be that we can be with somebody in, in face to face, but we may can get on our phones. We may can call. It may be that during this season, we learn what it means to become more human than before. You know, for some of us, it's been a long time maybe that we've had a lot of good long just calls with somebody where people hear our voice. And it may be that in this time, we learn to do that again. It may be that during this time, we, we learn what it means to be creative about loving people in ways maybe we already should have been loving people. But we have a story that roots us in a calling and an identity that gives us not only a commission, but a template to live this out. What does it look like for us to seek the welfare of our city in this season, and particularly to love those whom Jesus called the least of these among us? But we also can do this because we have a hope. So in verses 3 to 12 of chapter 1, we see it begins with these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have this identity, and we have this calling to go into a fallen world, and particularly in this situation, and to love one another, and to love those who are least, and to seek the welfare of our city. But we can do this with confidence. Because Jesus is risen from the dead. Again, we do this in no way that belittles the suffering that has taken place. 
But we walk into the suffering just as Jesus did with the hope of the promise of the victory of God. We have a living hope through the resurrection. Verse 4 says we have an inheritance that is an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven. Nothing can touch it. And then verse 6 tells us we are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation being ready to reveal at the last time. So, verse 6, we rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, we are grieved by various trials. We do not know what all that is going on is going to do to affect our economy. If, if things do go to worse, like we don't know how this is going to affect the infrastructure of our society. We don't know what the stock market is going to look like. I know nothing about the stock market other than the fact that those of us who may not even have a portfolio or would know what, what that even really means, we really are connected though to this in indirect ways. And it's at such time, how do we go and live a blessing? As we remember that we're the people who've been given an inheritance that no pandemic or persecution can mess with. And at such times like this, it really is an opportunity for us to reflect on where our hearts are at in the first place. Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are you afraid of losing? Health, money, job, other people. These are all very legitimate concerns. But do these concerns rule your heart? Or does the living hope that we have in Christ give you the ability to be sorrowful yet rejoicing? As we think about this issue of fear, we need to be really careful as God's people. Sadly, Christians are known by many as a bunch of highly sentimental people who push back the realities of pain and suffering in the world and give people cliches to deal with things that are just realities in their heart. And we have an opportunity to walk in faith but also to display what healthy fear looks like. There is such a thing as healthy fear. We need not to reduce this into simplistic statements of, don't be afraid, just have faith. We have to be careful not to shut down our own or other people's experience of fear because it may be that that is exactly where God wants to meet us as he did so many people in Scripture. It's often said that one of the, the most common command in the Bible is do not fear. But if you use this season to even just go through all of those commands to do not fear, the response that is brought to those commands is not a belittling of one's emotional experience, but is a call to experience that within the greater reality of the presence of God. Unhealthy fear can lead us to anxiety and control idolatries and even to some to rage. But if we bring our fear to God and meet Him there, that's where we grow in faith and wisdom. 
That's where we experience even more deeply his protection, help, and refuge. So I want to encourage you not to stuff your fear. Don't just numb it out with Netflix during this season. Let it be there. Feel the feeling. Feel the fear, but bring it to God. May this be a season where we can learn to deal with our fears in such a way that we experience the power of the presence of God. And we grow our faith. A faith that He is with us. He is for us. He is in us. As 1 Peter is showing us here, He has defeated sin, death, and hell, and suffering. He is risen. And we live in a world where there are really legitimate things to be afraid of. He is greater. As we live in this, this tension of, wow, that, they really are acknowledging the fear, and yet at the same time, they have faith. As God's people, we have the opportunity to live in such a way that demands a gospel explanation. Christians who just sentimentalize any person's real emotional experience with a with a cross-stitched Bible verse approach to it, will not get a hearing from the world. But if we can underline the reality of the fear, but bring it into perspective with the greater reality of God, then people may ask us, wow, it's amazing that you don't have a little fear and yet you have such compassion Wow, it's amazing that you don't belittle science, and yet you have such a courage. But also we have a holy calling. So we have a story that helps us live as a family of faith in the face of fear. We have a living hope. We have a holy calling. This is what we saw in verses 13 through 21 of chapter 1, that we have been set apart as God's people to be holy in the world. I mean, we saw and talked about how it's hard to be holy when you're under pressure. Just like I said, when, when anxiety is coming in my life, when I get afraid, we, we can begin to live kind of like that proverbial goat stuck in the fence. We're just on edge. We're touchy. And so when we think about holiness in the Bible, again, we're not talking about this distant self-righteousness, but we're actually talking about things that have been set apart for God's use in the world, that were purified for the purpose of bringing forth the blessing of God into a world of pain. We use the illustration of the surgeon who scrubs in. And right now, people are learning new hand-washing techniques like they've never learned before. I saw someone posted the other day that said, I've always been about washing my hands, but 20 seconds is a commitment. <laughs> and if, you, if you've already started to do that, like I'm going to sit here and wash my hands for 20 seconds. It's like, wow, this, there's a little more to this. This feels like forever for some of us. But the purpose of doing that is not so that we can sit back and look and say, look at how clean my hands are, and look at how I am loving the world. I'm better than you, or holier than thou. The goal, done from the right perspective, is to love other people. We wash our hands so that this doesn't spread. And particularly so it doesn't spread and affect those who are more susceptible to the dangers. But what I think we can take here from 1 Peter is this application about this is more than keeping our hands clean during this time, is we need to watch our hearts. 
We will not only love people as God's people in this time by keeping our hands pure, but by working to keep our hearts pure. This may mean that the most loving thing for us to do in one sense is just to stay away from people at certain times. We are indoors, in our houses, and we're saying for the sake of love, we're not going to want to do anything that could potentially spread this. But we as God's people need to be able to do nothing with gospel intentionality. And this is maybe the hardest thing for us, particularly as productive Americans, is how do I do nothing with gospel intentionality? The sad thing is, is we should already be prepared for this through what the Bible teaches about the principle of a Sabbath. We should be ready. This will not be. Grace and peace. We have an opportunity to learn what it means to rest in a way that grows us in the holiness that God has given us. Many of us, no doubt, have already thought, wow, I'm finally going to get to binge watch that new show on Netflix or Amazon. No shame to you. But what if you said, maybe this is the season that I get to read that book that I've always wanted to read. Something to do with growth and following Jesus. What if, you know, I've always wanted to have an extended time of prayer. Maybe now I can do that. You know, I've always wanted to start journaling, but felt like I just needed some extra time to get practice in that. You know, the church has all these resources, heart journals, sharing my story with Jesus as the hero. You know, I've, I've actually never really did those. A life map. This could be an opportunity for us to have some space to grow deeper in our relationship with God in the pursuit of holiness. Let's not waste that opportunity. Let's lean in there. Let's encourage one another in that. But let's not do this in any sort of way that is for our own performance-based worth. But let's do it for the next reason. And that is what verses chapter 122 through 230 tells us. is Not only do we have a story to live into as elect exiles, not only do we have a living hope, not only do we have this calling to be holy, but we have a clear purpose. And that's love. Chapter 1, verse 22 says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We're full circle here. The purpose of our identity, the purpose of the story, the purpose of holiness is so that we who have been so loved by God live out that love with one another in the world. How we love one another in this time is a great gospel opportunity. I was talking with one of my pastor friends yesterday about how to approach this and should the approach be to speak to people who are highly afraid. But as I thought about it, my response is I think I want to speak more clearly not to the issue of fear, although that's important, 
and we've touched on that, but to the issue of love. We live in a highly polarized nation and world. Sadly, there are already political pundits who are making this an issue of elections. All kinds of accusations and assumptions that, that there is, there's no even real news out there. Everything's fake news. Everything, this just plays into this larger cultural current that there's no such thing as truth. There's just power. And this is the water that we drink. And it can affect us as the people of God if we're not careful so that we do not give people the freedom to act upon their consciences as submitted to the Lordship of Christ. The gospel of King Jesus is a gospel of grace. But I've already seen, and just if, you, if you've not seen it, I'm not going to encourage you to get on Twitter or social media to see it of all of the, the snarky, cynical, sarcastic criticisms of people's different responses. These things should not be among followers of Christ. Cynicism, sarcasm, snarkiness are not fruits of the Spirit. And it does not matter how intelligent our information is. It does not matter ultimately even what should be done or shouldn't be done, that is just true. These things do not bring with them an aroma of the grace of Christ that compels people to trust the king of the kingdom. Such responses don't love God and neighbor, and they harm the witness of the church. And those who would sit back and say, I can't wait to say I told you so. I can't wait... You know, when this thing blows over in a couple weeks and all these people freaked out, I'm going to sit back and make my post and say, I told you so, and everybody will look at me and say, you were right, you're the smart one. And you may get your moment on the throne, but you will have dimmed the light of the glory of Christ to be shown in this time. Let's resist making assumptions of others or demanding others have our same emotional experience at times such as this. Let's put off thoughts and attitudes and conversations like, oh, they're, they're just ruled by fear. Look at them. Or, oh, they must be unwise and compassionate. They're going out to eat during this time. They're not as serious as I am. They don't love the, the elderly like I do or they wouldn't be doing that. Or they probably just don't like being in church. They're probably all out at brunch right now. They're all at Cracker Barrel. We're complex people. We have remaining sin in our lives. We have remaining suffering in our lives. And it leads to all types of mixed responses, temptations, and motives. Some to fear and some to foolishness. No doubt there are truly foolish responses being made on all sides. Inconsistencies, idolatries, intentions, and ignorance abound. But for God's people, grace should abound all the more. 
During this season, we have the opportunity to, to say to the world, we want to bring the compassion of Christ. Because all this is is just a bigger display of everyday common life. The broken and the burnout and the bored in our city should be able to say, there's a place where even when I may be irrational, or there's a place where even where I may be being ruled by my emotions is a safe place to come and not be shut down. And not be mocked. Not be ridiculed. Not, not be getting some one-liner zinger. But to be loved. To be loved. We all have different personalities and paths. We're all reading different reports and recommendations. But what if in this time the Beatitudes, the fruits of the Spirit, the characteristics of love from verse 13 were our guiding directives? The life of Christ. Because in all these things we have an identity. This leads us to our text that we read to start today. I'm not going to exegete that. I didn't plan to. To turn this corner into where we'll be the next few weeks. Whether in person or in different formats. But the biggest thing is we have an identity to live as a family of faith in the face of fear. Verses 2, 4 through 12, what we see most clearly is this distinction of who the church is. And what is so clear is that what is not said. The church is not said to be a building. It's actually said to be a, a spiritual house. The church is not a place. The church is not a program. The church is not merely a pastor or a personality. Church is the people of God. The people of God, saved by the power of God and dwelt with the presence of God and sent with the purposes of God. The church cannot be canceled. The church cannot be shut down. We read in here that we are priests, a holy priesthood. We read here that we are a holy nation. A people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies sent him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 12, we're called to keep our conduct pure among the Gentiles, that is among those who are not a part of the people of God, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That is, we're to live out this identity in the world that demands a gospel explanation. I've been told before by experts in church growth that if Sunday doesn't work, then nothing works for the church. You can do all your discipleship programs and whatever, but you, you have got to be able to pull off this large group event with efficiency and polish or your church just is not going to happen. Regardless of this situation of pandemic, the response is, well, what about the book of Acts? What about in Acts chapter 8? 
where we read, And Saul approved of Stephen's execution, and there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. No more getting in the large group and meeting together in Jerusalem. It's not possible anymore. A persecution hit. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And this is a very important line. Except the apostles. And there's no place anymore. There's no professional leadership anymore. So does church not work? Was church canceled? There's persecution. It says now Saul and others, they're going house to house and dragging off men and women and get, putting them in prison. But verse 4 says, those who were scattered, remember, except the apostles, no apostles, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip was one of them. He went down to Samaria, proclaimed Jesus, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame or healed. And then notice verse 8, so there was much joy in that city. No official place, no official apostles, and yet God's people are equipped to now fan out, proclaim the gospel, in word and in deed, and increase the joy of the city in a time of persecution. Because they were living out their identity as a royal priesthood. Now, we don't wear collars in our church to show that we're clergy. And I, I don't have any harsh criticism against those who do my friends who do are watching, which I doubt you are. But I think all of us need to, to just imagine right now God has given you a collar. You're his priest. And now you're being sent out in the midst of this pandemic to bring good news. To do that wisely. But to do that faithfully. We're, we don't know if this will be the first or only week that we will be meeting like this. It may or may not. It, it doesn't shut down our church. We love our Sunday gatherings. We believe that God has ordained them. We don't believe they are a man-made tradition. We believe that we see in the New Testament and in the early church that the gathering of God's people for the preaching of God's word, the taking of communion together and the fellowship of the saints is an important part of our growth in discipleship. But the fact that we may not gather as a large group does not mean that we are no longer God's people. The church is the called out people of God. It is not merely the assembly of God's people. So we may not be able to gather, but we can as a whole church, but we will be able to continue to be the church. Our missional communities can continue to gather in smaller groups and homes for family meals. We are so blessed in our church that in our three missional communities, we have able and gifted leaders to both teach God's word in person and to lead in singing and praying. Jonathan and Val, 
And Libby, if she's able to be there, the Magnolia Avenue MC, nothing but confidence that these guys can preach the word and lead. And our missional community, myself, Melanie, Jose, and others are there. And the Stuart Parkland, Jason, Cody, Jacob, Hannah, and others. The Lord has blessed us. We did not organize our church based on looking towards a pandemic or persecution. But we did organize ourselves to be the church as we see in the book of Acts, which didn't miss a beat in times of persecution. And as these missional communities during this time, we want to live out the way of Christ. We want to remind one another that we are not alone. And we do not want to call time out from the identities we have as a family of servant missionaries sent to make disciples. Because we follow the one who gave his life to bring a blessing to us in the face of our sin and the face of our suffering to give us that living hope so that we can be a family of faith in the face of fear. Father, we thank you for the hope that you give us in Christ. And we pray now, God, as we prepare to be sent, that you would help us, God, to go out as your priest for the glory of God and the good of this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Due to our circumstances, we will not be partaking in communion as we regularly do. But I do just want to make visible these, these pictures that Jesus gave us and reminders that wherever your heart is in this time, the body of Christ was given for you. The blood of Christ was shed for you. And we have a unity that is much bigger than our ability to partake of these things around the table. But as the persecuted church has done throughout all of history, we are reminded, though, that our hope is in not what we do in this time, but in the finished work of Christ. The work that is finished, the once-for-all sacrifice, in whose name we pray.